This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Welcome to episode 9 of the podcast. Uh, a big thank you to everyone that continues to support the podcast, uh, continues to help and share us. Big thank you to Mikey from uh, from the last podcast. He has done a mountain of work in, in sharing this and putting it out there on LinkedIn and, and sharing and resharing the posts on Instagram and and, uh, and Spotify. So it's been amazing. So big thank you to Mikey. Uh, to everyone that's listened, we are now over 1,000 total listens. I think we were 1,050 the last time I counted. So that's uh, for me, that was a, a bit of a milestone and really incredible achievement. So again, thank you to so much to everyone who's listened to the podcast. We've had listeners everywhere and we've added Pretoria and Cape Town in South Africa and the UAE to our, our podcast listen, international listen list now, so it's fantastic. Uh, folks, don't forget, you can still uh, you can listen to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, uh, uh, CastBox and quite a few of the popular casting apps if you're on an android device which includes uh, overcast i believe as well uh, and of course you can listen to us on spotify uh, if you have access to spotify podcasts so uh, there's a whole bunch of ways or you can listen to us directly through the the facebook uh, and instagram posts uh, so it's it's been really fantastic to have lots and lots of people listening and uh, we want to make sure that we can continue to add to those numbers uh, and uh, we'll continue to put podcasts out my guest this week is, of course, uh, well, somebody I've known for a little while, but um, I've never actually really had the opportunity to sit down and have a good chat with her, and specifically never really had the opportunity to sit down and have a really good chat about her mental health. Her name is Tanya Bonham. Tanya is an Aboriginal woman, and in, and in this chat, we have a little bit of a chat about, um, a little bit of a talk, I should say, uh, about um, postnatal depression. Um, we touch on Tanya's background, which um, has led to uh, her sort of ongoing, um, I'm not going to say challenges, but her ongoing um, need to, to continue to look after what she calls her mental wellness. Uh, and of course, the work that she's doing with, the, um, with young people in the Aboriginal community uh, through her role with uh, the local health district. So uh, it's a really interesting chat. chat. We try and uh, have a little bit of balance between uh, males and and females, so and try and make sure we covering off on our uh, covering off on uh, well, bal- like I said, balancing out some of these discussions and making sure that everyone's voice is heard. Uh, again, if you loved what you you love what you hear today, please share it. Please let everyone know what we're doing. Uh, give everyone the opportunity to to have a listen to our podcast. Um, as I said, it's easy to do. You can listen through the Instagram or Facebook posts. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Castbox as well. We're exploring the Google Play option, uh, but in the meantime, like I said, like the posts, l- share the posts. If you think you know someone that needs to listen to this one, this is one of, I think, a really important one. Uh, please share that with them, and uh, 
without further ado, Tanya. How Hello. you going, mate? I'm good. How are you? This is how we open every podcast. Yep. And this is an interesting... Now, I've got to say, this is an interesting podcast. I haven't said this to you, but this is an interesting one for me, because even though we've kind of known each other for a really long time, this is one of the first ones where I don't really know the person well. Yes. So the last few that I've done, I've had, having said that, I've had some surprises, Mm -hmm. but this is one where I don't really know the person well. So this is, I'm going to be learning stuff about you (laughs) along with the listeners. That's nice. Yeah. It it was an interesting prospect um, thinking, okay, well, I, I don't really know Adam well, you know, I've I've known him for a long time. I yeah. mean, God, it's nineteen odd years. Yeah. Um, but can I can I sit down and have this conversation? And um, I think part of my own well being is challenging myself for new situations. And at the end of the day, if that can help somebody else, then great. But yeah, it's a bit of a challenge for myself. <laughs> Just hearing your voice, being on a podcast or even... Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and uh, having a conversation with people that, you know, not only yourself but the listeners as well that, that don't know my story and, yeah. and don't know a lot about me and, and having that out there in the, the, the you know, the, the universe. The world. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, look, it's, we, we sort of mentioned this. I mentioned this in the last podcast. It's really interesting from my perspective because I've got people in the UAE listening. I've got Ireland, yeah. Sweden. Like we've got someone that listens fairly regularly in Pretoria, South Africa and oh, Cape wow. Town. Wow. That's nuts. <laughs> like someone is listening to this in Pretoria. Yeah. Like I'm just – it blows my mind. I mean, you know, we've got the vast majority of our listeners in um, – in Sydney and in, in and around New South Wales, but there's people that are listening regularly in Canberra. Mm. We've got people that are listening. Uh, we're big in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> we are huge in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville loves us. <laughs> so you, this is you. Can, after this, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. No, you get to call yourself an international podcaster. <laughs> Second, this uh, this thing goes international. That'll be on the email signature. <laughs> That's exactly right. Tanya, international podcaster. Correct. Okay, so I, I ask I ask standard questions of everyone, and we yep. can jump off from this one. But the first standard question I always ask everyone is, well, if I need to, what is mental health to you? What do you think about when you hear that term? I <clears throat> so for me, I've worked in health. Uh, for in public health services for 19 years and um, I, f- I flipped the script on that. So, so mental health is a service that is provided by my employer um, but for myself it's actually mental wellness. Okay. Um, so how, how well am I feeling? How well are my, my friends, my family? What is the state of, you know, our wellness? Yeah. Are, are we okay? Um, and and what, what is okay for us? Because mm-hmm. it varies from individual to individual. Um, so, yeah, so for me it's, it's mental wellness and, and being comfortable in my own skin. Okay. Wellness. Mm-hmm. What, what is wellness for you then? Oh, it's a range of things. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, you know, turning off the white noise. So, yeah. so as you mentioned, you know, at the moment I've got my own voice being projected back into my ears, which is a, 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 an interesting experience. It's unsettling, isn't it? It is. Um, but when I'm not, you know, when I'm not having this experience, often there is um, white noise. Yeah. And for me, mental wellness is the days that, um, you know, the old TV signals, you'd get the, the ants. Shh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
mental wellness for me is when I've got a clear signal and there's none of that white noise. Okay. How do you turn off the noise? Oh, it depends on the day. Some of the things... Besides red wine. Yeah. Focus on positive ones. Um, sometimes it's, you know, challenging yourself to why am I feeling a particular way? What's yeah. happening? Have I had any stresses um, in my day? And, and in my paid work, that can be, you know, I'm a mum of two young children, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also in a relatively stressful role. And, um, yeah, how am I feeling today? What can I do to self-care? Mm-hmm. Um, and also look after the well-being of other people in my circle. Yeah. So, you know, you've got circles upon circles. Even. Yeah. Um, uh, I tend to care about, I think sometimes I'm, I'm dealing with other people's issues as a way to not deal with my own. Um, and sometimes that, that mental wellness is actually going, okay, how is Tanya today? And, and what difference can she make in the world today mm. with how well she's feeling? Okay. Um, touching on the thing about, not dealing with your own wellness, but dealing with other people's. Part of what I find happens is, is when I'm dealing with other people's stuff, it actually helps me deal with mine. Yep. Because you um, see yourself reflected back in that person's journey or um, you see some things and go, look, I really think you need to change this yeah. behaviour. And then you, there's a there's a light bulb that goes off and goes, hey, you know what, Tanya, yeah. I reckon maybe you could do that for yourself. I, the I, People that are on the Facebook and the Instagram pages, they'll see that, I post my walking videos now. Yeah. Um, my wife gives me a bit of grief about that because she's like, no one wants to see you walk around. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, they do. Mm. Lots of people view them. Um, but uh, that was me. Yeah. That, I was, that was exactly me. Um, and it, <laughs> um, I won't tell the full story, but basically I sort of went, you know what, it's, it's time for you to do something. You can't keep sitting there and going, oh, yeah, I'm a fat guy. Oh, I'm in this, I'm in that, making you've got to actually get up and do it. And yep. the other part of it was I've spent probably the last sort of eight, eight or nine months professionally exploring um, recovery and mental wellness. I love that word wellness as well. I use it mm. all the time too. Um, and it's been, that's been a mindset change for me having to use that. Um, but I was like, okay, what am I, what do I need to do to prioritize my wellness? Yep. And it became undeniable walking was part of it. Mm. Like I just had to do some physical activity. Yeah. You know, um, I had to get up and get around and walk around in the morning and, you know, I still don't like it. <laughs> and look, and I, I, think, <laughs> oh, and I do like it. No, I do. <laughs> I think sometimes it's um, making that behaviour change and it's hard at first. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at back at it in three months' time and six months' time and 12 yeah. months' time. And if I could go back, you know, I'm 37 now. If I could go back to 17, 18-year-old Tanya and, and have a conversation with her, yeah. um, I don't know that I would actually change a lot of the stuff that she did, yeah. but I might have some gentle ways as to how to make a few things easier. And I think yeah. in, in my, you know, my current age, I can be that voice of reason. That person may still make a number of mistakes and they need to as part of their own personal growth. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, yeah, it is that reflection back into yourself and go, you know what, I can't be preaching this wellness if I'm not actually taking that moment to reflect in the mirror. And Well, that's why the podcast exists as well. We were doing some work. We've got a recovery college that we run with um, in partnership with this WSPHN. Yeah. And, um, and was doing some work with them. And basically sort of sitting there talking to people about recovery and setting goals as a part of recovery and yeah. and recognising that a lot of what I was talking about was what I did in my own personal experience, but there was still so much that I hadn't done yeah. and that I had to do. Yeah. And so sitting there going, like, this is part of that. 
you know, sitting there going, mate, you've got the equipment, you've got everything <laughs> you need, get off your ass and do this. Like yep. you've, you've, you've got the people around you. I'm surprised at how many of my friends are just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? You? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really important point as well because um, the more vocal I am about my own challenges, yeah. you realise that um, other people have challenges. And, and I, you know, on, on my personal Facebook account, I talk about my, my, my people, my people that are in my corner yeah. and, and the people that are there when I'm silent. And, and they may have had their own separate challenges. Yeah. But I know that they recognise sometimes my behaviour when I am withdrawing. When I, they're, they're the first ones to go, hey, Tanya, something's changed for you. Yeah. And if I hadn't have maybe been as open with them about my mental wellness, then they may just be going, oh, God, Tanya's a bit silent. She doesn't yeah. want to be my friend anymore. And, yeah. and, and you know, that could have lost, ended um, that, that friendship. And it's um, one of the core messages of this is that, and, and we've had a couple of experiences um, when I say we, my wife and I, Barb, who was on a couple, I don't know why I'm acting like people don't know who she is. She was on the podcast <laughs> like a month ago. Um, but we've had um, a couple of challenges where we haven't spoken to people for a while. Yeah. And we've kind of had to change our mindset because we've gone either, you know, they're obviously ignoring us mm-hmm. and we've gone, well, no, maybe they're not. Yeah. Let's see if they're not. And, yep. and most of the time, they're not. Yeah. Most and of the I've, time they're, they're hiding. Yeah. I think that's, it's, you, you recognize in your friends, the behaviors that yourself, that you've gone through. Mm. And, and sometimes that's a really good uh, way of opening that conversation with them to say, Hey, how is it going? And, yeah. and, and calling bullshit when you know, they're not telling you the yeah. truth. <laughs> and that's what, and that's what, how you go mates about it's, um, so we say to people, it, it's not, you know, um, it, it was the, the antithesis of I'm here if you need me. Yeah. It is, okay, cool, that's nice to say. Yep. But I'm not going to come to you because that's not how we operate when our yep. mental health's really poor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come, I'm going to solve it another way. So what I need you to do is go, hey, how you going, mate? Yep. No, listen, I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. I know what these things look like. I know this is going on for you in your life. How are you going, mate? Yeah, and really pushing that point, and 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 having the courage to do that because mm. you know uh, when my own mental health is struggling, um, it can be really challenging to have that conversation with yeah. someone that is very close to you and saying, you know, actually stop lying to me, yeah, and, and let's have a real conversation and and don't tell me that you're good because you're not good, yeah. and um, yeah, that can bring up a whole range of things for you and for that person, but often it's that you know. That, that six months time, that 12 months time, you go and remember that day and, yeah. you know, and, and, and how far we've come from that. Yeah. And then, and uh, the best story I've heard of Nathan, the first podcast where he said, you know, I was in a rehab facility and when the doctors went, how you going, mate? And he went, oh, I'm good. And he went, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be here if you were okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go back to the 17 year old you. We were talking about yep. this off air and I think our experience is very similar. I, I've said to people, reflecting on my own experience in the last, six or eight months I, I think my depression was locked in late teens early 20s mm-hmm. I didn't recognize it yep didn't have some of the destruct really destructive stuff but certainly had stuff like isolation and a few other things isolation for me is one of the really big ones which yeah. is what we're trying to break down a little bit with the how you going mate stuff but um 
recognizing that now that I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yep, I was depressed back then. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. Yeah. And really, it didn't come crashing in for me until you know my my, my married my first marriage broke down. Yeah. And then it went bang, mm-hmm. and everything fell apart. The seventeen-year-old version of you did mm-hmm. she did she know what was happening? Did she know what was going on? No. There, there. Back then, it wasn't white noise. It was voices, and yeah. it was uh, different, uh, different tanyas. So I often say that you know in my work I'm I'm wearing different hats. You know? yep. um, I'm quite an introvert by by nature. Yep. And people who know me well go, you're not introverted. What? But I, I don't gain my energy from others. So I, yeah. I need tanya time. And um, <clears throat> as a seventeen year old, that was. Um, uh, voices that I'd heard in my childhood being echoed back at me. So that's that's how I, you know, yeah. a, a lot of the things that I was saying to myself um, were things that I'd heard said to me yeah. and, and just believing that and not really knowing any better. So I, I don't think 17-year-old Tanya had any idea what was going on and, and had really no way of processing it and was just getting up each morning and, and going with emotions. Um, and it... It probably wasn't until uh, after the birth of my first child um, when I was diagnosed with postnatal depression that I spent some time with a psychologist and we started, you know, I I was there for the the here and now, fix Mm me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she started going back and saying, okay, well, tell me about this. And I'm thinking, what are you on about? And But those sessions were uh, really important in terms of going, hang on a second, maybe we've dealt maybe we've had some instances in our childhood and maybe we need to address them to be able Mm. to move forward now. Mm. It's not just, I'm here, fix me, make me better now. Addressing some of those behaviours in the past and and learning better coping mechanisms. So I I don't, the first um, time I probably realised I was depressed was when my daughter was six months old. Mm. And uh, now going back and looking back at my my childhood, there was probably maybe early teens, definitely late teens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And recognising and just going, yeah, that was, yeah, that's where I was at. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, most teenagers act out and most te- teenagers have a bit of a rebellious streak. And, you know, if my parents uh, uh, do end up listening to this, I think that would attest to the fact <laughs> that, you know, there were some times when I was a bit just- of a challenge. <laughs> And I will probably cop that tenfold back with my own children and, you know, hopefully I, I will have a bit more empathy for my, my parents' experiences. <laughs> um, but, you know, some of it wasn't acting out. It was just not knowing how to process how yeah. I was feeling, what I was feeling and just exploding. Yeah. And, and look, it's, it's something that, um, and particularly... Um, as I said, that first podcast that we did with Nath mm. very much talked about the same kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, young men and young women tend to be a little bit different in how they explode, mm-hmm. um, but they still explode, Yeah, you know. And, and, it, and it, you know, we do stupid shit like, you know, wrapping cars around trees and things mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that and, and drinking ourselves stupid. I guess young women do that as well. But There, there were different at-risk behaviours, you yeah. know, and, and, and as a 37-year-old, I can call them that. They're at-risk behaviours. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as a 14-year-old, I was having fun. I yeah. was out with my friends. Yeah. Um, and But uh, I think now if my if I found my daughter doing the same thing, I would have a very different response. <laughs> <laughs> 
You, I never did that. When I was your age, I yeah, never did that. I was perfect. Yeah. I was there. I remember it very, very clearly. My, <laughs> my, my 15-year-old only found out probably six months ago about, you know, my worst drunken episode. Mm-hmm. I was in, she went, were you drunk then, Dad? I was very drunk then, sweetheart. Yeah. Yes, I do. I, I will admit to that. Um, and it's funny because she's figuring out that we're not angels either. Yeah. You know, she's figuring out that we weren't perfect growing yeah. up. Um, but you know, I'm certainly trying to say to her now, you know, and I, I look, I'll, my mother will attest I wasn't a, necessarily overly rebellious when I was a teenager. Yeah. And in terms of risk taking behavior, all of mine was reasonably safe in the fact that I did it when I was 18 and I did it with all my mates. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she's now, you know, talking about, you know, well, when I, if I start drinking and things like that and I'm like... Yeah, you know what, sweetheart? It's it's you've got it's different. You yeah. can't, you know. I don't want you to be in a position where you are vulnerable, yeah, like that. And yeah. and I don't think as a fourteen year old kid you go, yeah, man. like when you think back now. Like mm. I always say to people as well, I've worked in disabilities a long time. Yeah, some of the injuries I've, I've seen and some of the people that have disabilities were from things I did. Yeah. as a kid and as a as a young adult. Yep, and I think and you know. Wow, like that could have been me really easily. And as a fourteen-year-old, you go, I don't care. Mm-hmm. As a thirty-seven-year, there's, no, there's no consequences. Yeah, as a thirty-seven-year-old, you go, Whew, that yep. was <laughs> I, lucky. I got through that one. <laughs> there are several times where I am thankful that um, I had somebody somewhere watching yeah. over me because yeah. it could have been a very different outcome. Yeah. So the 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 young mum, she's got a you know new baby. Mm-hmm. And she's coming to terms with the fact that she's got, you know, postnatal depression. And that's certainly been part of our experience as well. Um, we sp- I think we spoke about that on the podcast with Barb. We've yeah. certainly experienced that as well. What What was that process? What, what, did, like, what was it like for you? Uh, so so I met my husband uh, when I was 17. Um, he's, he's my now husband. So we, we got married on our 15-year anniversary. So we kind of did things backwards. Um, we'd, we had Caitlin uh, when we'd been together for 10 years. So yep. it got to our um, the time when we'd been together for a number of years and uh, we were getting a lot of pressure from our families yeah. to, you know, what's going on here, what's happening. And so I ended up saying to Keith, look, um, if we've been together for 10 years and we're not either starting a family or engaged, I'm out. And um, I don't think he took me very seriously, but we found out in the um, January of our, what would be our 10th year that we were expecting a baby and everything was really happy and, you know, it was wonderful. Um, And throughout the pregnancy you know, I'd have my appointments and I remember going in on a Friday and being told I needed to be hospitalised. <clears throat> Things weren't um, too good mm. and they needed me in hospital because I was really at risk. And I kind of went, okay, no worries. Like, and I'd worked in health. So like people came into hospital and, you know, things were okay. Mm. Um, and so Caitlin was born six weeks preemie. Um, so we, we went into hospital on Friday and I was told I'd be in hospital for the rest of my pregnancy. So I was expecting a six week hospital stay. Um, and Caitlin was born on the Sunday. Uh, Keith was out, um, playing penance, uh, a relegation match in penance for golf. And uh, we had to find out where he was and get him to the hospital now because, uh, this baby's being born. So, you know, most parents who are expected to have a preemie baby will do a tour of the NICU. Now I'd been in the NICU as a healthcare as a as staff a, as member. As a worker, yeah. yeah. 
you know, you go into NICU, I eat there's babies over there, but I, I hadn't been in as an expectant mother. Mm. Keith had never been inside an, a, mm. a NICU. And so uh, Caitlin was born and, and thankfully she was healthy and breathing. But those 30 seconds after she was out and there were no noise, mm. like the reality for me was that hospitals are not always a place of joy where babies are born. Stuff happens. Sometimes they don't go home. Yep. yep. And so that 30 seconds, you know, Keith could see her, but I, I was listening for that cry. And um, so we, Keith went to the, the NICU and I was allowed to go and see her a few hours later. And Caitlin was in hospital for two weeks. And we got told on a Saturday that we could take her home. So I'd had two weeks of monitors telling me that she was breathing, what her temperature was, um, that she was good. How much I had charts, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the hospital things. Yeah, proof, evidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I this baby was being kept alive. Yeah, with the assistance of a lot of nurses and other people. Yep. Uh, and then they said, "You can go home." Don't you wish you could have kept them around for the next <laughs> ten years? Hey guys. And, yeah, and and we went home with the proviso that on Monday I had to take her back to the hospital, and if she mm. hadn't put on weight, we were being readmitted. So I went home on that Saturday and went, okay, so. How what do I, I give her ice cream? How does this work? Yeah, uh, what <laughs> How I can do? I fat yeah. her up? <laughs> and, and I'd had 48 hours um, prior to that where I got to room in with her. Mm. So that was the first time in her two weeks of life that I was responsible for her that, you know, she cried and I had to. And, I mean, those that know me, I'm a very heavy sleeper. Um, <laughs> and so I was terrified that the baby would cry and wouldn't hear it. Like, um, And it was really challenging and you know, everyone's highly stressful and, and, and I felt the weight of the world. I was responsible for this human. And part of me knew that through the pregnancy, I, I that would be the eventual outcome that, you know, I would probably have a baby and I would probably be responsible for yeah, it. It's usually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was this vulnerable child that had, you know, some health issues that had some jaundice that needed mm. this. And um, my, my own mother had had face char- um, troubles with breastfeeding and my um, sister who had a child before me had had some troubles and I was like a uh, bit dog-headed no I'm going to breastfeed yeah I don't care that this baby's early I'm going to do it and then yeah. when she wasn't putting on weight it was like oh my god maybe maybe this isn't the right thing and starting to date yourself mm. and it got to about six months and things weren't right um you know I just uh there was the challenge of looking after this tiny human and, and yeah. not having any me time. But I'd, I'd come from a, a, a job where there were outcomes, there were KPIs, there was control, there was order, there was thought-out processes yeah. to being on maternity leave where, like, it was just topsy-turvy. <laughs> they, they, they wake up at all hours. They, yeah. They cry there all the no time. There was no schedule. There was no, like, goodness me. How dare she? Yeah, you bathe them <laughs> and that's when they then have a plusplosion and you're cleaning up crap from everywhere and you kind of go, okay, is this really what I've signed up for? I say to people all the time, the first three months of a kid's life, hardest thing you'll do. Oh, my goodness me. Look, I think swim the, Amazon, uh, swim the English Channel, climb mm-hmm, Everest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah. Yeah. Three months of a kid's life. First three months. Yeah, and so um, we were leading up to Caitlin's christening, and um, I remember being in Big W and losing it because I couldn't find the right shade of pink for the invitations, and it was like the end of the world. Yep. And I think if I had seen me having this, I would have said, "Hey, look." everything okay you know something doesn't seem quite right and I had a really good friend with me at the time and she said just that 
Yeah. And I thought, okay, I need to have a conversation with the GP. And because of my work in health, I'm, I'm not a health practitioner, but I've been exposed to a range of different things. Yeah. You know, you know that postnatal depression is a possibility, but it's yeah. not going to happen to you. Look, you know, you're supposed to be happy. Numbers are huge, though. Numbers are like 20, 30% of, I think, pregnancies. Women. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, you throw in the preemie baby, you throw in the guilt that I had because it was my body that it wasn't Caitlin needed to come early or that I'd gone into spontaneous labor. Mm. We had to induce her her mm. birth because my liver was shutting down and I was mm. at risk of dying. Mm. And it wasn't until Caitlin was much older that I came to realize just how close I was. Um, but I had a conversation with the GP and you kind of go, oh, thank God. It's like the, re- the release valve is, yep. you know, I-, I can share these thoughts with someone and, yeah. and they're not going to take my baby away from me. Yeah. <laughs> and particularly when the message is, is um, you should be happy. Mm. This is like, this is the dream. Mm-hmm. You've had a child. Mm-hmm. And and I always say to people, you know, like, I've never felt love for my children. That I've, I've never felt that with anything else, anybody yep. else. Yeah. It's instant. It's devastating. It hits you like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. You just immediately feel for this person. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how you're supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, mm-hmm. or when it's not exactly how people tell you it should when, be. When with that enormous love comes the overwhelming and crushing feeling of responsibility and mm. expectation and it's not just your expectation it's the everybody yep. else's expectation yep. it's it's devastating yeah what was the next steps like so the gp visit yeah so i went to the gp and um look i hadn't you know throughout my my life i'd gone to a medical center who do you want to see yeah. whoever's available like yeah. i've got a flu i need this, yeah, yeah. you know. Yep, I don't care. Somebody <laughs> so give me a I, certificate. Yeah, so I didn't yeah. have a, a lasting relationship with a GP and, and the good friend that I was with that day said, look, why don't you go and have a chat to my GP? Yeah. So I was there meeting this GP for the first time. She didn't know me from anyone. Mm. Um, and she she asked some hard questions and, and it was uh, overwhelming in that moment, to be honest, and say, well, actually, I'm terrified of getting in the car because... If, if if my daughter's with me, then I'm okay. But if I'm in the car by myself, I'm sometimes thinking, wouldn't it be great if that truck stopped and I accidentally ran into the arse mm. of it and did everybody a favour? Mm. Um, and, and some of those thought processes and, and acknowledging them and owning up to them and mm. not just going, you better not tell anybody that because yeah. they're, they're going to take that baby off you. They're not going to allow you to look after her so having that really uh honest Mm. conversation and dealing with the after effects so she i started some medication to to try and help with the the noise um and allow me to um deal with some stuff without not other people's input but just crap you know I, I, the, the, I said it to Mikey last week or last podcast. Um, the example I always use is spa bath. Yeah. Your brain is a, a spa bath that's switched on, mm-hmm. right? And what someone does is throws a $2 coin in and says, <laughs> find, the, find the $2 coin, yep. right? Now, it's almost impossible to do. This thing's swirling. It's moving. It's, you know, you've got to really get in there and reach around to try and find this little $2 coin in this whole spa bath, right? Mm-hmm. For me, what the medication does is turns the spa bath off. Yep. Right? Yep. That, that, so that's now what it. you can do is look down in and you can go, 
and it's clear and it's smooth and you mm-hmm. can go, oh, there's the $2 coin. Yep. And yes, you've still got to reach in to get it yep. and get a little bit wet and messy, mm-hmm. but it's but you easier to get a hold and of. You can, um, you know, it's not oh, what's under the water because I can't see. You can actually have can a bit of a clearer it, path. And you can just go in and pick it up and, and you can deal with it. That to me is what it does. So when, when you got, and it, you and Mike, you've said very similar things around the white noise, mm. um, turning the white noise off. Yep. So you can hear your own voice because when you got the white noise, you can't hear your voice. Mm-hmm. All you can hear is the other people's voices yep. telling you what you should be doing while yep. this other thing's or, going. Shh. Yeah, and your own voice. Um, reiterating and reinforcing some of those things yeah. that other people may have said, that yeah. comments that you may have heard somewhere. Well, they must be right if they've said yeah. it. Yeah. I, well, I can't have. I don't have a back. I don't mm. have an argument back to this. Yeah. So that must be right. Exactly. And yeah. it, it was quite. Um, that was the first time I'd, I'd been on a, a medication. That you know, there was a lot of stigma. Yep. There still is, but yep. there was a lot of stigma around that. And um, the hardest part was being honest with myself, being honest with my husband, mm. um, who was you know. Then we were we were boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, yes, we had yeah. a child, but we weren't engaged. We we weren't. You yeah. know, it, yes, we were in a relationship. So again, is he going to leave me? Is he going <laughs> to yep. think I'm a complete loon? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And um, and so I also saw a psychologist, which was um, just instrumental in, in being able to recognise some of the behaviours and having a plan in place as to how I could manage that. So how could yeah. I ground myself? How could I address how I was feeling? How could I um, determine the truth? From the background noise, from the white noise, from the the not so helpful yeah, things. Yeah. Um, and I saw her and and was on medication until Caitlin was two and a half. Um, so that was, I, I, I you know I managed to. So they say that um, mums who have postnatal depression, um, who um, have preemie births, who are then medicated for their postnatal depression may experience challenges breastfeeding. Mm. Um, and one of my proudest things is I breastfed Caitlin until she was three. Mm. Um, and, and only then it was like, look, when you turn three, you, you can't wear nappies to bed. Mate, I reckon once they get teeth, <laughs> done, it's over. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had, I had a few bites. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. These aren't for chewing on. Yeah, but, you know, the, the World Health Organization recommendations are until... Uh, two years of age, yep. and and for me it was uh, going back to that guilt of the events that led to her birth. Yeah, it was like, well, this is something that only I can do for you. I've got to go that extra yard. Yeah, that was my way of um, remedying mm. some of the areas where you know my 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 current self can say, look, Tanya, those circumstances were beyond your control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was my way of sort of remedying. I reckon it's oversimplifying it because, and I recognise that. But I think at the core of any um, recovery process is saying to yourself it wasn't your fault. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. like it just is, and yeah, and it and it works for so many things. Like you, you can't control that your liver shut down. You didn't mm. do that. But you, <laughs> but you need to be in the right uh, yeah. headspace to be yeah. able to have that conversation with yourself because yeah. it's easy when. The, when you're not feeling great to go, well, see, you couldn't even get to a full-term pregnancy. Yeah. You, you loser. <laughs> Thousands <laughs> of women do this all the time. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even do it. Yep. Yeah, I can't do it, so I've... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the NICU was a new experience and these nurses, um, you know, trying to show me how to feed my baby and, and there was part of my brain going, well, of course they need to do their job. They're, yeah. they're now responsible for keeping this child alive. Yeah. But, and they're not trying to say, hey, Tanya, you don't know anything. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do their job. But also the, the emotional part of my brain going, 
see you you even need a nurse to show you how to yeah and, but the the truth is that the nurses show every new mum how to bathe their baby yeah. how to do all of this stuff but that got uh lost in the experience yeah, yeah. so so with time i was able to go back to that and go give myself permission to grieve um and to acknowledge how i was feeling about that yeah and just recognize that there was a bunch of stuff that you just yep had to had to try and get through yep yeah and it's it's interesting um we had a really different experience um you know with with my younger daughter and, and my wife she sort of tried to breastfeed and and one reason or another she just didn't want to have a bar of it yeah and we we tried a couple of times and we went to the 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 breastfeeding nurse and she was this really lovely woman who was probably in a maybe in mid to late 50s um and she just was like you know what she said i'm a breast nurse and i'm a breastfeeding nurse and i should be telling you breast is best and feed your baby she said but you know what she said, whatever gets your baby healthy, whatever mm-hmm. she wants to do, this is what you do. She goes, so she doesn't want the boob, she doesn't want the boob. Yeah. Give her the bottle, it's fine. Yeah. And we're like, really? And she goes, because everyone else tells you, no, no, breast mm-hmm. is best. No, no, you've got to give him that boob. Yeah. Um, you know, I always said to people, I wasn't breastfed. I mm. was I'm pretty, well, <laughs> pretty well developed. Um, None of your job applications have asked you how you were no, fed as an infant? No, no. Oh, there was one, but she was, <laughs> she was kind of creepy. Um, but it hasn't, and you know, like, and in fact, to be perfectly honest with you, growing up, I've got like, I'm kind of glad I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, but you know, this woman just was like, don't stress about it. Mm. And, and people are vehemently like one or the other, you yeah. know, no, you've got to do it. Yeah. You absolutely have and to look, do it. I think, you know, that, that, that breast is best is a, is an old adage that's, you know, um, been perpetuated and, and I, I volunteer for the Australian Breastfeeding Association yeah. um, and, you know, fed is best, whatever it takes Whatever gets the job you done. Know, I've counselled um, a lot of mums on the helpline who yeah. are formula feeding their babies. Now, I can't tell you how to make up a bottle of formula. I've yeah. never had to do it. Yeah. Um, but... If your baby is, you know, if I can give you some sort of advice, because I have been um, yeah. a mother, I've got yeah. that experience, and, and yeah. fed is best, whatever yeah. it takes for your for your own wellness and for your baby's wellness. Here's what I'd say to the ladies as well. Um, you can get hubby to get up and do some of those 3am feeds. You don't mm-hmm. have to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, get off, get off the boob, give them the bottle, get them... But like, it's also a really handy thing where you go, sorry, I can't do that because I'm feeding the baby and I knew I can do that because yeah. they're breastfed. <laughs> But then from the male perspective, we want you to be on the boob as well because you can't drink while you're on the boob. Yep. So we've got designated driver. Yeah. And can I just say as well, I always say this, I have um, PTSD from um, Top Gear. Mm-hmm. I can't watch Top Gear anymore because it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no matter what time of the day it is, it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm feeding a baby yep. and I need to be asleep. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm automatically tired. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to be asleep now. Yeah. Yep. Oh goodness me! Oh, we've covered breast. Well, the, the the beauty is we've we've kind of done the uh, the opposite to last week's episode. Where we <laughs> talked about being a dad, and, and as as you say, it's, it's super common. And and I think the only way we break the stigma around this, you know, hopefully there's a mum sitting out there now who goes, "It's okay to be. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel like that." Yeah. Um. And the, this is the point of this podcast. You know, we talked, we joked about people listening to it all over the world, and. And listening to different, you know, I want people to sit there and go, yeah, man, like, I, I was the same as you. For a long time, I was really secretive about my depression. Yeah. Um, mine was more about being uh, fearful of, you know, my ex-wife finding out and using that against yeah. me. 
But um, now, no, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want. Yeah. I don't really care about that. I'll tell anyone who would care to listen. Yeah. Um, I, you know, men are overrepresented in these statistics. Mm-hmm. There's too many of us suffering in silence. So if it helps for a young woman to sit there and hear you go, okay, yeah, maybe I can give her a bottle, give the baby a bottle, or yeah. it is okay to go into my doctor and go, I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? Um, best thing you can do. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when you talk about those those statistics, you know, I, I was a later mum, so yep. we had Caitlin when I was 27. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm... I, I win. We were 37. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm the eldest of four kids. I've been around kids. I wanted nothing more than to, to, yeah. to be a mum. Yeah. I always wanted to be a dad. Yeah, but we, we had struggles with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome, which puts me in a higher risk category for, um, maybe, you know, having difficulty falling pregnant. Yeah. Um, also, um, uh, yeah, having that challenge. So it didn't, you know, it wasn't like Keith and I went, okay, we're going to have a baby and it, and it happened. Yeah. It, you know, it, we didn't need to go down any other avenues, but it wasn't like, okay, so deed, pregnancy test done. It yeah. was, uh, and so that um, had some, some impacts as well um, because we'd, we'd wanted this for so long and then it was bang on our doorstep and you kind of go, whoa, okay. Well, we hadn't, we hadn't finished the parenting classes. I don't know if you, yeah. you had to go and yeah. do those, but, you know, we, we went to two and then we were in hospital. Mm. And they say that you can't do it until, you know, your 32nd week of pregnancy and then there's eight weeks of classes, so that should get you to your due date. Well, we'd done two classes. I was like, crap, we haven't even finished the classes on how God. to be a parent. <laughs> and now we've got the baby. We didn't do nappy changing. <laughs> how do we know? How do we get to know? <laughs> and, you know, that was a, a really scary time. But So going back to those statistics, you know, we, we, I was a later mum. Um, uh, I, I'm an Aboriginal woman. Um, so, you know, there's a whole range of health statistics that come with yeah. that. Um, I had quit smoking um, a number of years before falling pregnant with the aim of, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to clean up that part of my life because yeah. I want to have a baby. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'd done certain things that were, that were right that, mm. but I, hang on, I've done, I've ticked that box. I've ticked that box. Why am I still in mm. these categories? Mm. And, you know, you look at the statistics now and, and there's sometimes it those statistics are helpful, but it's also encouraging those generations that come after me to, to, to flip that script on those statistics and to change it, not to go, oh, well, look, you know, males are overrepresented, so okay. Yeah. It's, you know, okay, well, how can we change that um, that statistic into mental wellness and how can we address mm. that so that, you know, people don't suffer in silence? Yeah. The scary part about it is I'm not real sure on the mental health statistics. I think they may have changed over the years, but I know the suicide stats Mm-hmm. The numbers are different in the sense of if you go back, we had a look at 1989 recently mm-hmm. just to see what 30 years ago looked like. And there were numbers were about, I think it was about 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, 2018, I think, was 3,046. Mm. But what hadn't changed, and this was the scary part, was the the deaths per 100,000 mm-hmm. people. It was about 19. Yeah. And that number hasn't shifted. Mm. So even though people are. I guess it's kind of good. It stayed steady, yeah. But we also haven't reduced that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and they're talking about you know, eighty nine. I'm guessing the population would have been about fifteen million. We're at nearly thirty now. Yeah. So those numbers are staying relatively stable, which it might be good. But they're they're not reducing. And yeah. and that number of three thousand forty six. Yes, we want to get that down, but we want to get the nineteen down to ten and five yeah. and two. You yeah. know, that's where we'd like that to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
you mentioned your Aboriginality. Mm-hmm. In terms of, we see some, I guess, variations in mental health stats around Aboriginal mm-hmm. people. How much of a factor do you reckon it was? Um, look, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I struggle with this a bit. I think sometimes I, I want to be more than a statistic, but yeah. I think, you know, we were talking off air about, you know, it's not necessarily your, your cultural heritage. It yeah. might be the factors around, you know, where you grew up, the, the childhood you experienced, you know, and, and there's no one experience for an Aboriginal person. Yeah. Um, I think that... Part of it is, you know, it, it definitely is a factor. There's there's some, you know, intergenerational trauma and some, some things that have happened in years gone by that, yeah. that I can't control, but I'm living with the effects of that. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the, the, um, the unfortunate thing is that Australia is still quite a, a racist country mm. um, and there's still a range of things that, you know, need to occur. Um, I think it was... It was a factor. I, I don't know that I can quantify it mm. per se. Um, my, my current work is with um, Aboriginal people, getting them into employment yeah. for that public health service. And, um, you know, they bring with them various experiences. And, and sometimes uh, the biggest challenge I find is trying to assist them to get the best thoughts for, for them in terms of employment outcomes, in terms of, you know, getting the job that they want. If they mm. want to be a registered nurse, then I want to support them to do that. Mm. Um, but we were talking before about the reflection and often I see my my experiences reflected in their experiences yeah. and that then brings up some issues for me to deal with. So yeah. sometimes a day at work is not just clock in, clock out. It's clock in, you know, deal with a range of issues, clock out, come home and deal with the issues that that's yeah. then brought up for me. <laughs> How was your day? Did you have any issues today, darling? No, no, good. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes it's unpacking that and, and yeah. it may not be until the week after or the you start to recognise some signs in yourself and go, oh, hang on a second, yeah. am, am I self-caring? Am I looking after myself? Am I, how can I support, you know, my trainees, my, my co-workers, my, my, my mob in their mental wellness mm. and, and recognising that it's I'm not solely responsible for that but I am part of the the machine, I'm part of the cog, I'm part yeah, of yeah. the problem and the solution. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, maybe for the females, males as well, but maybe the female trainees that you're working with, it, it do you see yourself as a, an a, a Aboriginal role model for that person? <laughs> My thought is how much of the issue, that some of the issues you're dealing with with the particular group of trainees you work with is some of that self-fulfilling prophecy, oh, you're an Aboriginal. Mm. This, is, this, is your, this is your fate. This is yeah. your journey. This is what you're, what you're going to do. And, and look, I don't wear my story on my sleeve. I don't walk in and say, hi, I'm Tanya. I moved out of home at 17. This has mm. been my experience. Mm. Um, but the truth is I've, I've, you know, I started out myself as a trainee. Mm. So in terms of, you know, sometimes I may feel, oh, well, look at Tanya in this big flash job. Yeah. She doesn't know what it's like to be us. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I started out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've been there, I've done that, yeah. I've got the T-shirt. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it is sharing that story and saying, look, if, if you, you know, we, we goal set. So yeah. just as part of their traineeship, you know, what do you want to be at the end of this? Okay, let's look at reviewing you at three months, at six months, at nine yeah. months. Um, but let's work towards that longer-term goal. Yeah. Because, and I, and I share my story around how I started out in health, yep. hopefully as, a, as a, an opportunity for them to say, well, hang on a second, 
you know, Tanya's had a similar story to mine, but yeah. but look at where she's come. Um, and I think that with itself can, can be quite challenging because sometimes the, the trainers have said to me, yeah, but that's you, that's not me. Mm. And then going back to that 17, 18-year-old Tanya, I remember thinking that. Yeah. Like I had people say to me, oh, yeah, but you're going to do this traineeship and you're going to do this. I would not have believed them. Mm. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, now looking back, I can go, well, hang on a second. That, you know, I did do those things. So I think, um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's celebrating the small victories and the small yeah. wins and then constantly looking back and, and taking the opportunity to reflect. And hoping that in 20 years' time, one of these kids sit there and goes, she, she was right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yep. I, I was her and I have grown into this and look yep. at where I am. Yep. Yeah. And, and I sort of asked that question because I am um, one of my early versions of my community services career. I was a youth worker. Yeah. And part of my motivation was, is, you know, I came from a single parent, welfare, mm-hmm. lived in a housing commission house in the western suburbs of Sydney, yep. you know, situation. Um, and I always say to people, I was the first person in my family to finish the HSE. Yeah. I was the first person to go to university. I, you know, I'm, I'm still only like the third or fourth. Yeah. <laughs> On one side, there's like me and one other cousin who's yeah. just about to do his HSE and go to uni next year. Yeah. Um, you know, I I succeeded. Yeah. Like I I broke out of that stereotype what was expected mm-hmm. of me, and I I guess I look at that and I think you know hopefully some of these kids look at you and go, she did that. Yeah. And I can do that too. Yeah. You know. And then, you know, growing up, I was um, one of four kids. Mm. I was the eldest of four kids. There was a lot of yeah. expectation around, you know, but you're the oldest, you need to show them the way, you need to do this. Okay, no worries. Um, but I was the same. I was the first out of my parents to finish the HSC. Yeah. Um, and, and quite a few of my my family before me. Yeah. Um, and look, that's, that's changed over the years. Um, but I still haven't hit that university I've started a few times, but there's, you know, and the biggest challenge was being okay with, you know, not succeeding the first time and still having yeah. it on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. Look, I could be the oldest person to graduate <laughs> university, but hey, I'll still have done it. <laughs> we'll have this conversation when you're 94. <laughs> I've just got my degree. Yeah. What do you want to do with it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm I getting... literally don't. Yeah. I can't hang it on the wall anymore because I can't pick up a hammer. <laughs> Not allowed to put holes in the wall at the nursing home. <laughs> What's the university degree? What are you doing? Uh, so my background's in HR. So I've yep. started um, a few times in HR. Um, yep. I've started in a, a Bachelor of Business and Commerce. And yep. um, at the moment it's, you know, trying. I, I love HR and I've, yep. you know, I work well in that area. But studying it with the length of experience that I've got now is often a challenge because yep. you're sitting there with a lot of people who are much, much younger than you, yeah. who don't have the lived experience going, well, this is how you performance manage someone. And I'm going, that won't work. No, in- <laughs> the textbook may say that, but that ain't going to work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so ultimately I think it would be in HR, but who knows? Well, he's hoping you get there. Mm. That's that's the plan. Yeah. That's the ultimate goal. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times self-care. Mm-hmm. What's your go-to for self-care? What's your, what's your go-to? So, um, I mentioned earlier that I'm a mum to two children. So, my son Mitchell is six. And um, I think self care really became a factor for me after his birth. So, he was another Premier baby. And and it was harder the second time. 
Um, you think, yeah. okay, I've been through this. I know what the yeah, NICU no, is. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of... The same. Shit, I've done it again. <clears throat> yep. And it was yeah. exactly that. It yeah. was exactly that. The same health issues came back. And the obstetrician said to me, um, look, mums who have preeclampsia and help in their first pregnancy, it's very rare that it presents in the second pregnancy. But just to be careful, we're going to monitor things earlier. Yeah. Okay, no worries. And um, then, you know, very early on it was, okay... We've, we've had some indicators. This is what we need to do. Huh. Oh, crap. Um, and it was, it was a lot of guilt. Um, so uh, shortly after Mitchell's birth, we again had a diagnosis much earlier on of postnatal depression. And um, my psychologist at that time said, what are you doing for you? Right. I thought, what do you mean? What am I doing for me? I've now got two children. Yeah. Um, like four, f- three or four and a newborn. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my sister-in-law um, was really instrumental, not only in Caitlin's period of um, postnatal depression, but making sure that I knew that she was there and not just saying, look, I'm here if you need me, yeah. but actually practically being there. Um, so so we, we share a house yeah. um, and have done since Caitlin was eight months old. And she would, if she could hear or see that I was struggling, she would come out and say, take five minutes. Yeah. And, and I think giving myself that permission to to take that five minutes now sometimes it might be just walking to the the mailbox and checking if there's mail um but over time that has manifested so i am a despite my my youthful appearance i'm a great old granny um i crochet oh so part of my self-care is keeping my hands busy and focusing on something else so that my main and my go-to at the moment for self-care is i crochet Right. Because I'm a thousand years old. Does <laughs> <laughs> that call you Nana? <laughs> yep, yep. Nanny, nanny Tanya. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a new one. I haven't heard uh-huh, crochet. Uh-huh. But it makes real sense when you think about, you know, focus and, uh-huh. and really having to be precise about your movement. And really beautiful creations at the end yeah, of it. And something to be proud of at the end, that sense of achievement that we yep. spoke about. And this, that's a real... I, look, I don't often... <laughs> I don't often take my psychological cues from Dr. Phil because, um, you know, he's full of shit most of the time. Mm-hmm. But, no, nah, he's all right. We like Dr. Phil. Um, my wife loves him, <laughs> loves him. Um, but um, he was talking about, uh, again, was talking off air about Joe Rogan listening to Dr. Phil on that podcast. And Dr. Phil's talking about this idea of self-attribution. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not everyone's going to be a great singer, not everyone's going to be a great runner, but finding the thing that you're good at mm-hmm. and when you do it well and you achieve at it, telling yourself you did it well yep. and, and saying, yeah, you did that, you did a good job. Yep. And f- having those the little wins, the little victories, the those little tangible, senses of achievement. Yep, yeah, those tangible things that you can look back and say, I created that blanket, that scarf, yeah. that garment, that yeah, that whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my go-to at the moment. Um, there's, there's different things that work. Sometimes it's, you know, sitting in my car and having a cry and having that emotional release. And, um, other times it's cup of coffee. Yeah. Catching up with friends. And sometimes it's texting them to say, I'm sorry, I've been silent, but well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. I've been silent. I've been silent and I know I'm being a really crappy friend Mm. and thank you for still being here. Yeah. There's an interesting thing in there as well. Um, changing that language around saying sorry to people mm-hmm. for what you do. Like you do have to let people know why you're doing what you're doing and maybe sometimes it's appropriate to apologise, but swapping out I'm sorry for a thank you, huh. you know. I'm sorry, like the example we were talking about, Wayne Schwoss off here, you know, hearing that his example is, um, you know, when you cry. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you say to somebody when you cry? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
you know, um, what are you sorry for? Mm-hmm. Like you're allowed to cry. That's yeah. being an emotionally expressive human. Say thank you. Thank you for being here with mm-hmm. me while I cry and allow mm-hmm. me to be in this space yep. and do that. You know, sorry for being a crappy friend. Well, you know, actually, thank you for understanding that yep. sometimes I'm not going to call you back straight away. Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes I can't answer the phone call, but I'm more than happy to text you. Yeah. Because yeah. if I hear your voice, it's going to bring up a whole range of other emotions yeah. for me and I'm probably going to lose it. So I can only manage a text at the moment. We'll just deal with that for the time being. <laughs> Yeah, and you're no good at replying on Messenger. Take forever. I know. Look, there, there are many people that will um, attest to my inability. I, I read things and then I formulate a response in my head, uh, but the fingers don't cooperate. Don't move. <laughs> no. Crocheting's a new one. That's I'm really impressed with that one. Yeah. I, I always say my my absolute go to is massages. Mm-hmm. Oh, love them. Yeah. And nothing dirty about it. Anyone that's listening out there, it's got nothing to do with any of that you know dirty stuff. Um, when I when I first was going through my, my, the boom period of my mm-hmm. mental health, um, you know, back in sort of 2007. It was when those, the, the shopping center massage places yeah. first started to spring up. But yeah. initially they were little booths yep. out the front of like coals and yep. things like yep. that. And, um, and so I would go to those mm-hmm. and for like 20 minutes, it just felt amazing. Yeah. And, you know, if you do any reading on meditation and mindfulness and all those sorts of things, what it did for me was for 20 minutes I focused on that person and the sensation of them mm-hmm. massaging my shoulders and my neck yeah. and it took me away for you know 20 minutes I was yep. just away from it and then walked away going this feels amazing like I feel really good really yeah. light um, so for me as often as I'm able to and um, and I joke around with people <clears throat> I have a thing called Adam Day mm-hmm. so my job gives me a, a, a day off every fortnight yeah uh, so every fortnight I drop my little one at school and then I have Adam Day. Yeah. It always involves having lunch with myself. Yeah. Um, and it usually involves a massage or a movie. Yeah. And if I can squeeze all three in, <laughs> that's a really good day. <laughs> that's the trifecta. That is the best day that we can have. Yeah. Um, the final, so the final question is, and I always ask this of people, because we're 54 minutes. I told you. I mm-hmm. told you an hour. We could, <laughs> if we could get an hour, we'd be good. The final question I always have is, and I, I touched on the self care, but realistically, if you were to give one tip, one absolute, this is the key to staying mentally well. Mm-hmm. What is it? The hardest person to be honest with is yourself. So being honest with yourself and mm-hmm. saying, "Yep." Yeah, recognizing. Um, behaviors in yourself so so some people will say okay well you you had treatment for postnatal depression after the birth of your first child why did it come back yeah mental wellness is not a sore that heals you had a cold once you get them again yeah yeah um and so some people said but hang on you've 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 been to the psychologist didn't you know what to do I mean, I drive a car every day. There's a whole range of external factors that impact on my driving of that car. There's other drivers on the road. There's, you know, the situation is different. I don't always drive the same road with the same cars next to me, Hmm. all those sorts of things. Um, And I think it was harder, both harder and easier to recognise the second time. But the hardest person to still convince was myself because that's a whole range of different things in terms of how you feel about yourself and oh my god am I letting this happen again so so having that conversation with yourself um and being honest with yourself 
And, and giving yourself the permission. So sometimes it's, it's fine to say, look, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, the first question you asked me is, how am I going? And I said, okay. And, and the truth is, look, I'm doing okay, but I'm also dealing with a lot of stuff at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's not a conversation for now, but it's the default. How are you doing? Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Social convention. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, and it, so we're, 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 um, we're programmed yep. to respond with that way. Um, the hardest thing is to be honest and say, look, I'm doing okay, but there's a few things that yeah. maybe aren't going well for me. I think the key, um, and this is one of the things I'm learning, is you don't have to tell everyone that you're mm-hmm. not okay. Yep. Because, yep. you know, it's perfectly okay to say, yeah, mate, good yourself. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Michelle that works on reception doesn't need to mm-hmm. hear. But you, what I, I'm learning is if we build a, a little network of yep. a group of people. A circle. You know, um, and I've got a couple of people now that I'm in pretty regular contact with. Mm-hmm. Where I just check in on them every once in a while just to see what they're doing and how they are, yeah. and I keep an eye on them. And if I see things that worry me, I'll touch base. Yeah. Um, not a psychologist, so my my default is always: Have you spoken to your doctor? Have you talked to someone? Have you have you checked this out? Yeah. Um, or, or you know, what have you learned in the past? What do you need to do right now? Yeah. You know, what can you do right now to give yep. yourself um, to get yourself back on the track to wellness? But you know, having that group of people that you can go, all right, I know I can say to you, mm-hmm. this is where I'm at right now yeah. and you're going to sit and listen to me. Without you know, judgment, without fear, without, you know, you can be yeah. your truest self. And you're not going to tell me what I need to do to fix myself. You might tell me what you did mm-hmm. and let me go away with that or yep. you might turn around and go, well, what, you know, you, you know what to do. What do you need to pull out of your your bag now to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, start to work your way through this and yep. process it. But you're not going to tell – that's – I don't – you know, I can tell you. And that and that's the key, you know, picking the people and finding the people and knowing the people that you can go, nah, actually, mm. not going so well. Yep. And, and and as you say, yeah, you don't have to be honest with everybody, but, but having those people, the, the yeah. circle of security, those people in your corner, those people that know that – truest and, and rawest form of you and who will be there yeah. through that process. It's good to put the lever on. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate your time. This was good. And and look, I, I didn't even need to know you that well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. No worries. <laughs>